Amen. Well, good morning, Harvest. Morning right on. Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Turn your Bibles there, and here's what I want you to do. Put, put that, if you've got a little ribbon in your Bible, this is what it's used for. Throw that ribbon there. Throw a piece of paper there. Put your finger there. Put your neighbor's, no, don't touch your neighbor because of coronavirus. All right, just mark that spot, Romans three twenty-three, and then flip back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're actually going to start in Genesis and then work our way to Romans, all right? Not going through every book, all right? We're gonna start in Genesis, then jump to Romans, all right? So keep, keep something in place in Romans. You can get there quickly, but go to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna be starting in verse 26 there. And as you're turning to Genesis chapter one, something I've been thinking about as I've been thinking about this whole concept of glory, as we've been talking about this over this sermon series, what does it look like to, to, to seek God's glory? And I started thinking about the things that, that draw our hearts, and, and, and what is it about, about a, a sporting event that would draw us to such, such joy, such angst, but we're, we're drawn into it. And when, when our team is making the run to the finals, there's something that draws our hearts to that. There, I, you go to a game. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I can't help but stand up and cheer. I high-five strangers. I hug people I don't know. There's something about it. When, when something's happening, where our hearts are drawn to that, right? I've said this before, growing up as a kid, I mean, I don't know what it was about Rocky movies, but when the Rocky movie was on, me and my brothers were like, let's do this. We want to fight everybody. We get so jacked up about, about Rocky getting to the end and winning, right? Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's a sunset. Just draws your heart in a unique way. It was a couple nights ago that the sky was just a crazy color. And all my kids are going, dad, look at the sky. And we're drawn to that. What is it about these things? If you're taking notes, here's our first point this morning. We're going to see this here in Genesis chapter 1. We are wired for glory. We're wired for glory. And, and what I want to show you from God's word is that that's not a bad thing, that, that our hearts are wired in this way. Now, what happens is something comes along to, to jack that up, to, to draw our hearts away from what it should be glorying in and what we should be pursuing. But listen, to start off with, that we understand this, you and I were made for God's glory. As, as humans, we were, we were created in such a, a unique way where, where our hearts in a unique way created by God were, were wired for glory in a way that no other part of creation is. When you're walking your dog and that sunset comes, your dog does not stop. Oh, right? <laughs> Look at the sunset. No, your dog will not do that, right? Your cat is not moved by, by great music. It just, it just isn't happening. But in a unique way, you and I are created with this draw to glory. God made you that way. God hardwired it into our souls. And so our lives are filled with seeking after some kind of glory. Chasing things to, to fill that glory hunger in our hearts. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 1, there's this, this epic beginning to everything where, where God creates the universe. Creates it all in this stunning display of his glory. And then you get to day six, and what does God do? He saves what he says, listen, this is what God says is the best part of his creation for last. That the pinnacle of everything he's made, look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make man, humankind, in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. To to the front and center of God's creation comes comes humankind, comes you and I. And and you can see here that that God creates us with with an honor and a dignity that that we're distinct from the rest of creation, a, a privileged position that sets us apart from everything else that God's made. In fact, he says it this way, I've created you in the image of me. God says, I've created humankind in his image. We're created in the image of God. Now, now what's that mean to be created in the image of God? I think at the very least, it means a couple of things. It means this, we, we can relate to God in a unique way that the rest of creation cannot. When you see all the way through Genesis chapter one, God speaking creation into existence with just the word of his mouth. He speaks creation in creation into existence. And then here, all of a sudden, what's he do? He speaks to this part of creation. Verse 28, right? God blessed them and God said to them. God's original design is this, that we would would live in this this amazing glory-filled creation in perfect relationship with him. It gives us a unique dignity. It gives us this this worth. And and in this relationship with him, we have everything we need. Fully satisfied, complete joy. We have a unique relationship with him. What else this image means is this, that we're to reflect that image. Reflect God's glory. Look at verse 27. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And then he says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He says, here's what I want you to do. I created you in my image that you would now reflect that image. You'd reflect this glory, that you would take the invisible and make it visible. He commands them, go and and he says, look at what I've done here in the garden, how I brought peace and order here. Go and do that to the rest of creation. Reflect my image. So you see that being created in God's image, we, we have a dignity, we have a worth, we have a satisfaction, we have a joy, we have a purpose, we have a meaning. And then God in verse 31, he gets to the end of all of this and what's he say in verse 31? And God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. Every other day saying it's good, he gets to the end here after creating humankind and says, it's very good. Here's what God's saying. He's saying this to you right now. He's saying, I love you. I delight in you. He's saying to Adam and Eve in this moment, I approve of you. He's looking over everything he's made. He said, it's all good. Then he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, you're mine. I love you in a unique way. I delight in you. And I've created you in this this place where you can have this relationship with me that allows you to experience and reflect my glory. That's how God's created us. He's created us to find our satisfaction in him, to have all the the lesser glories that he's made point us to the greatest glory, which is him. And here's where things get messed up though. And it happens right here in Genesis. You see, Satan comes along in Genesis chapter three, disguised as this serpent. and, And what he attacks first is what God has spoken over Adam and Eve. What Satan goes after first is, God saying, you're loved. You're made in my image. You reflect my image. I love you. I approve of you. I want my best for you. And Satan begins by saying, is that really what God wants? Does he really love you all that much? 
I mean, look, look at verse one of chapter three. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, what happened is God, God had set them in the garden. He said, hey, you can have everything here. It's all yours. And then God says, except for this one tree. And, and why did God do that? I don't know. I can't give you a deep theological reason why God would have set it up that way, but I do know this. I know this throughout scripture that God does everything for his glory and our flourishing. So there's a reason God says, here's how I want you to live. And so he sets this one tree in the middle of the garden and he says, don't eat of this tree because I want you to flourish. And Satan comes along, what's he say? God wants to take everything away from you guys. Man, you can't eat of any tree in the garden. How mean of God. He's holding something back. Now Eve says, no, 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 it's not any tree. Tree, it's just this one. And then Satan begins to press on her. Look at verse four. The serpent said to the woman, because she said, if we eat of that one tree, we're gonna die. And the serpent says, you, shall not, you will not surely die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's this desire that Eve would have had, that Adam and Eve would have had to, to, to find glory, to seek out their joy. And this ultimate joy gets hijacked here by sin. And what happens here at the center of all this is a distrust of God. No longer being content to say, you know what? All my joy, all my hope, all my desire, all my satisfaction, all my purpose ends in him. And then sin, sin comes along begins to disorient this, begins to disrupt this, begins to destroy the peace and the joy of God's creation. And what do we see happen? I'm wired for glory. So what happens is it's not as though that's changed. It's not like I'm no longer seeking glory. No, it now gets, it gets disrupted. It gets cracked. It gets fractured. And now I'm seeking for glory in the wrong places. Sin comes in and twists this, this hunger for glory. And what do we do? We seek to steal glory for ourselves. Let the, light, let, let the light shine on me a little more. What about me? Or we seek glory in the wrong places. I mean, you see the two things? It's either a stolen glory that we go after or it's a misplaced glory when we put our hope in lesser glories. Now things like food can rule our hearts. Something as simple as food can rule our hearts. A lesser glory. Sex rules our hearts. There's a reason why we'd say that pornography is an addiction because it's, it's something that, that you start to use and how quickly it begins to use you. Material things rule our hearts. Where, where things mean way too much to us and our, and our hearts end on those things. We give them glory. We seek satisfaction in them. And these lesser glories, they're good gifts from God that, that are supposed to point us to him where our hope and our meaning and our joy are found. And what happens is these things are never meant to, to fully satisfy. They're never meant to fully save us. They're never meant to bring us a deep soul joy and satisfaction. So what happens here as sin enters into creation? Adam and Eve begin to say, I, I don't think I can find my joy in God's glory. I, I want some of this glory. They begin to think, maybe God is holding back. Maybe there's something I am missing out on. And everything spins out of control from that point on. 
and in grasping for a different glory than God's glory, they fall short of God's glory. You know, pride is described in a lot of ways, but, it, but here's pride's one goal. Pride's one goal is this, self-glorification. And there's this lie that enters into the world that's still being told today that you can have glory apart from God. I mean, isn't that the ultimate pride? That we would say, God, I'm gonna take glory that's supposed to go to you and I'm gonna pursue it from me. One author said it this way, that pride is this, we're contending for supremacy with God. I want what God has. I want that glory. And we either grasp for it for ourselves or we seek it out in lesser glories and either way we come up short. So Eve goes after this glory. She says, I, I want that tree. I'm gonna go after what I think God's holding back for me. And, and, and what happens? She does find out what good and evil are. She found out that God was good and she was evil. And what's her response? She begins to hide. Right away, Adam and Eve cover themselves with fig leaves, go hide in some bushes, trying to hide out from God. So what, is, what has been created, God creating us uniquely for his glory, that we can relate to him in an in a intimate relationship, that we're set apart with dignity and with purpose and with fulfillment found in this relationship with God. And all of that begins to disintegrate in this moment. And the way they relate to God now changes completely. They now hide from God. The way they're supposed to reflect the glory of God to the world was fractured, it's distorted. Now it's no longer how it was at first and so now instead of representing God's glory, what do we do? We have a, a world where we grasp for power and control and glory and the ultimate end for us, according to Genesis 3, is this, it's death. That Adam and Eve go from this place of you have this, this spot in creation, this, this ultimate place. And now from there, because you sought after your own glory, now you're just going to return to dust. We read in scripture that this, this fracture that we see in God's word, this fracture we see all around us starts here where sin brings on this distortion. And so as you're born of this world, you're born into this type of fracture. You're born as an image bearer with a fractured image. Surrounded by other fractured image bearers. Alienated from God. People, people, people searching like somebody in the dark looking for something that they can't quite seem to find. I'm looking for this satisfaction. I'm looking for this joy. I mean, it's the story of our lives. This is where we find ourselves so often. In fact, as you flip now to Romans chapter 3, this is what Paul's talking about. This is the point he's trying to make. We're hardwired for God's glory. Here's our second point. We fall short of that glory. We fall short of God's glory. When you read in Romans, I would say, man, even this week, pick up the book of Romans and, and start in chapter one and work your way to chapter three because chapter one and three, we have this, this amazing clarity of how sin wrecks us where Paul says so clearly, we've exchanged the glory of God for lesser things. We believe this lie and what do we do? We take this thing that was meant to bring us joy and satisfaction. Instead of seeking after God's glory, he says in chapter one, verse 23, now we're seeking after the things God created and it's wrecking us. We're seeking glory in places that don't give us hope. 
Seeking glory means we're, we're putting weight on those things. We're giving importance to them. We're, we're building a, them as a foundation, these lesser things of creation. Whether it be food or, 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 or people or stuff. I mean, think, think about how much we, we try to build our lives on the, the foundation of people where we try to say, my spouse is going to be my hope. I'm going to put my glory in them or, or, or it's my kids. My kids are my everything and, and my hope is in that or, or we, we put our hope in, in friendships and relationships and it all comes to a head in this statement in Romans chapter three, verse 23. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To fall short, it means we lack. It means we, we could have had this glory, but we don't. We fall short. Why? Because we continually choose something other than God's glory. We're still hardwired to seek after glory, but now we seek it in the wrong places. And, and now this, this hunger in us for glory, it's being drawn by sin for us to either steal the glory for ourselves or misplace the glory by putting our hope in lesser glories. I mean, this is the root of sin. This is the effect of sin. I mean, it's right this. It's this, this absurdity where we would exchange the all-satisfying glory of God for lesser things. Did you catch that? that that's the root. That's the, the, the effect of sin. The, the absurdity to exchange the all-satisfying glory of the creator for created things. Scripture calls it idolatry where you're putting something else in the place of God. And you're hoping for, for deep satisfaction, but you're always coming up empty. In fact, let's get super practical here. Let, let, let's, let's take this theology of, of us falling short of the glory of God. Let's make it super clear. Well, when we feel this glory deficiency, we enter into, maybe you felt this, we enter into this game of hide and seek. We have this fracture, it creates a glory deficiency in us and we feel that and like Adam and Eve, we know something's missing. We know we've fallen short. And so like Adam and Eve did, they hid, we hide. Their first reaction was to hide. It wasn't saying, oh man, I've missed this glory. I'm gonna go find it again in God because that's where it's found. No, they hide. They, they took leaves, they hid out. And don't we do that? I mean, again, step out of the theology of it and step right into the, what's practical about this. And, and think of those ways where we cover up, where we edit, where we hide, where we add filters to our life to hide the fractures. We don't just hide, though. We also seek, right? We exchange the glory of God for created things. We, we seek after glory in all the wrong places, and our life now is in this, this game of hiding and seeking, seeking to hide our deficiency and fill our deficiency at the same time. Again, it's not a theological thing. I mean, if, if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm not really a church person, you're listening online, you're like, I, I'm not really a, a religious person. You can still see it though, right? You can see it played out. Nobody needs to be told that there's a, a fractured Im, image bearing reality to us. Because even without it, don't, don't we sense it? And you may not say it in that particular way that the image of God is, is fractured in me, but you, you feel this game of hide and seek, don't you? Desperate to hide what's broken. 
trying to reconstruct it any way we can. I mean, think about it. We do it on a physical level. The, the cosmetic industry is, is an over $500 billion industry. I'm not saying it's a sin to wear makeup. Wear makeup. Y'all look beautiful, all right? But we work so hard on our image, don't we? Makeup, clothes, working out, and not bad things, but when they become the ultimate thing, why? Because we're hiding, we're seeking. We do it on a social level where we hide and seek. I mean, I've said this before. I mean, social media is a massive game of hide and seek. We, we put out our best image so people can see us in all our awesomeness and glory, and then we seek out more glory. Think about it. You, you put up a great picture, or you say this great comment, and, and what do you do? You kind of go back, hey, did anybody click like on that? You're like, no way, man, not me, man. I'm so far above that. I mean, have you guys, if you haven't seen it, it's a phenomenal documentary called um, the, the, the Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix right now where, where they, they go deep into what the people who created social media, where they're standing back going, you know, there's something broken here. They know, and here's what they're doing. They play our sinful desires. They play on our craving for glory. They, they play on that brokenness. Why? Because they make billions of dollars doing it. They know what the likes do. They know what the clicks do. I love watching the movie. You see these, these, these CEOs and, and people who are in high positions. They goes, we don't understand what it is. We meant this to be for a good thing and we're not sure what's wrong. We don't understand. There's something. I'm like yelling at the TV, it's called sin. We do it with school and work, don't we? Where you'll sacrifice everything to get the straight A's, the better promotion, the successful business, to be the top of your business or top of your sport, the, the, the accolades of a job well done. And we strive or we cut corners or we justify the other good things we're sacrificing to make that happen. And here's what we know, but, but we find this hard to own it. I think we say it, but to have our hearts actually own it, that if you actually obtain that success, when all the hiding and seeking has got you to that place that you've been striving for, you achieve it all. Here's what we know. We know this, but do we own it? It still doesn't satisfy. Because you weren't made to satisfy yourself in these lesser glories. You were made to be satisfied in God. I remember an interview that was going on with Jim Carrey. Remember Jim Carrey? He's the, the famous movie star, right? And, and, and he had it all. I mean, he had money. He had fame. And he said, he said in this interview, he said, it's still all empty. He said, I have every, he said, I had everything that anybody would have ever wanted or desired, and I'm still unhappy. And he was in, in shock about this. He goes, I don't get it. And he said this, this is a quote. He said, when you've accomplished everything you ever dreamt of and more, and then you realize, my gosh, it's not about this. And he said this, I wish for everyone to be able to accomplish those things so they could see that. He's saying this, I wish you would get what you actually want so you would see what I see. It's empty. Or Tom Brady, the quarterback. It was a 60 Minutes interview in 2005. He had already had three Super Bowl rings. Top of his game. He's, he's like a super good, he's the guy, everybody guy wants to be. Super good looking. He's married to a supermodel. He's got all these Super Bowl rings, more money, more fame than any of us could ever have. All the glory you think that you would, man, if I had that glory, I would have it. He had it. In the interview, 
He was wondering, why am I not satisfied? He said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Again, I want to yell at the TV. It's because you're seeking Jesus. You need him. You're seeking the wrong thing. That'll never satisfy. His answer though, he does not come to the gospel. His answer is this, I know what I need to do. I need to seek for more. One more ring. One more success. But don't we do it too? One more compliment. One more promotion. One more dollar. One more toy. One more relationship. What happens in this pursuit of the lesser glories? Listen, we never find fulfillment. We never find satisfaction and joy that lasts as we seek to take care of this glory deficiency and we look after the lesser glories. It doesn't work. And here's what's even worse. It doesn't just not work. It damages our souls. Proverbs 25, 16 says it this way. It says, it's not good to eat much honey, nor is it good to seek one's glory. You get the image that, the, that he's saying there, that Solomon's saying? It's not good to eat too much honey. And he relates it to going after your own glory. It's not good to eat too much honey. I mean, it's such a good picture, right? You can have a lot of good stuff and it just makes you sick. Have you ever done this? I, mean, I used to do this when I was in college. I mean, we would just two liter jugs of chocolate milk. Let's just drink them back. Oh, every time I go to the Mandarin. Do you guys, I mean, I do it every time. Maybe I get in my mind, okay, I paid this much money. I better eat enough to make it. And, and I always leave the Mandarin with the same thought. Why did I do that? good food. I love it. So I just keep eating and I walk out thinking, oh, this is awful. Listen, if you seek the glory for yourself, it's not just that you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be sick. You're, you're going to become enslaved to the glory you're pursuing. You're going to become enslaved to those people that you so desperately want them to accept you. These lesser glories can't withhold, can't uphold the weight of your soul and you either crush yourself as you hide out or you crush the things or the people you put in place as you seek them to be your glory. It could be your spouse. Telling your spouse is not Jesus in your relationship. Your spouse cannot uphold the weight of your soul. Your kids can't fill that glory need. Popularity at school Success at work can't fill that glory need. We, we end up either crushing ourselves or crushing them. I mean, think about it. Were, were these broken, glory, deficient people looking to have that deficiency satisfied by other broken, glory, deficient people? I mean, it's so absurd, isn't it? Jeremiah, 20, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says it this way. He says, God says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and cut out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see what he's saying? He said, you're going after glory and hope and joy and satisfaction. You've forsaken me with the source of it, and you're going after things that'll never satisfy Where's our hope then? I mean, I need hope. We've got to wrap this sermon up with some hope, don't we? Where's my hope? Here's our last point this morning. It's this. Glory is found and restored in Christ. Glory is found and restored in Christ. Look at verse 24. It says this. Verse 23, all have sinned, all of us, and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. 
Here's our hope right there. That's where the game of hide and seek can end. In fact, it was, it was Romans chapter one to three that completely rocked Martin Luther. He wasn't seeking after his joy in the world. He wasn't going after in the world. You know, he was seeking after, he was a monk. He was going after saying, I'm gonna be the most religious guy. I'm gonna follow God's word better than anybody else. Striving for righteousness and joy and satisfaction before God by being perfect at it. Then he reads Romans chapter one to three and he's absolutely wrecked by it. And he says this, he goes, and everything that I had done as a monk, this is telling me that I still stand before God as a sinner, as an enemy, condemned before God, falling short of God's glory. And, and you know what he started to do? In realizing that, he began to hate God. He's like, I, I, I can't do anything to make up this glory shortage, and I stand condemned. What had happened? See, all the lesser glories he had built his life on had collapsed and he was lost. Here's his breakthrough though. He says this, Martin Luther said, then I grasped that through gift, the gift and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Therefore, I felt myself reborn and to have gone through an open door into paradise. Here's what he said. When I saw that the law meant one thing and the gospel another, I broke through. It's, it's when the gospel became, became clear. When the law, which is this, serve me or die, serve the lesser glory. And he says, when, when I realized that that was different than the gospel, where Christ says, I've died, now you can serve me. That this good news, that's what gospel is. It's, it's not religion. It's not do this to be justified. That's good advice. That's not good news. The gospel is good news. Our, our world gives good advice. Strive for these things. Strive for fame. Strive for money. Strive for an inner peace, an inner fulfillment. Go after these lesser glories. Religion gives advice as well, right? Strive for purity. Follow the golden rule. And when you hear that good advice, there, there's only a few ways you can respond to good advice. You can go, meh whatever. I don't need to follow that advice. You can have indifference to good advice. You can be discouraged by this good advice, crushed under the weight of it, knowing you could never live up to the standard of God's word. That's where Martin Luther found himself. He said, I'm done for. Or here's another way you can respond to good advice, religious advice, especially like the Pharisees. You can go, I'm killing it. I am awesome. I am actually meeting the glory. I don't fall short. You either blow it off, you're wrecked by it, you smugly think you're winning at it, and those responses, listen, in those responses, there is no breakthrough, there is no joy, there is no lasting satisfaction. The world's advice, man, it's so easily lost, isn't it? Age steals your beauty and your health. Financial crisis can steal your wealth your sinfulness and brokenness or somebody else's sinfulness or brokenness can steal your joy in relationships. The, the religious advice we have gives no hope. You can only hide out for so long as a Pharisee before you're found out, before your heart is revealed to be so bent towards sin where you're revealed to have fallen so short of the glory of God. So what does it mean here in verse 24 where it says we're justified by grace as a gift? We're justified. We, we can be made right with God. We, we can be reborn, remade, restored. It says here, redeemed into the original, the original Genesis 1, glorious relationship that we were created for. 
That's what it is to be justified. Romans 5, 24 says that 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 faith-fueled justification is how we stand, how we stand in the courtroom before God, how we stand before holy God, no longer hiding, but now standing in his presence. And what is it that changes that? How do we get to that place? It's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing about the gospel. I love how Paul says, he goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would he be ashamed of the gospel? Because it sounds so ridiculous to the world. Here's where my joy is found. Where? I rest in Jesus Christ. In what he's done. His paying for my sin on the cross. And in doing that, listen, as Jesus hung on the cross, two things happen in that moment. As you put your faith in that one, you're forgiven. But here's what's, what's even better than that. As great as forgiveness is, you're not just forgiven, you're transformed. See, forgiveness is great, but, but forgiveness doesn't fully restore our hearts and our souls. What do I mean by that? I mean it this way. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. And there's this scene where this old guy finally gets out of prison. He's released. He's been in prison his whole life. He gets released. He's forgiven, all right? He's now free. He goes out and what happens? Although he's free, he still doesn't have a new life. I don't ruin the movie for you, but he ends up hanging himself because he's still a prisoner to everybody else around him. He's still a prisoner to himself in here, even though he's been set free. But listen, in Christ, it's not just forgiveness. It's not just that you don't need to hide anymore. You also have Christ's righteousness. No need to seek anymore. You're set free and, oh, it's amazing. You're given the highest honors. The glory is restored in Christ. The the presence of sin is still there. We still feel the weight of our hearts seeking after other glory. But listen, the penalty has been dealt with. And here's the great part. The power through the spirit in you. So that you're no longer controlled, enslaved by a seeking of after another lesser glory. The the cross gives, it's it's a negative benefit and a positive benefit. You're forgiven and you're set free. You're released from jail and you're given the gold medal. Jesus was treated as our record deserves and we get what his record deserves. Covered in his glory. Covered with all the medals, all the awards, all the righteousness of Christ because he took on all our sin. And we now have this lasting glory that can never be taken away. So so let's stop hiding. Let's embrace the truth that we're lost. We fall short. We start there and we start here. We start repenting of our hearts, seeking after lesser glories. So let me ask you this this morning. Where, Where are you hiding today? What is it that's that's causing your heart to hide? What are you seeking today? What is it that you're going after? Because your heart is hardwired for this glory and you see, man, I'm going after things that aren't God's glory and I know it's killing me. Where are you hiding this morning? What are you seeking this morning? Because here's what I want us to do as we wrap up this morning. Let's fight hard to find ourselves resting in God's grace. I know that sounds weird. I'm saying fight hard to rest. Fight hard to see God's glory. To stop seeking after sin. Stop seeking after lesser glories. There's work in that, but it's a work to strive for ourselves to rest in the good news of the grace of God. 
My prayer is this, that our hearts would be so captivated by this grace of God, our hearts so captivated by the glory of God, that we experience a new joy. Why? Because our hearts are captivated by something greater than anything this world could have to offer. Where we'd have an Isaiah 6 moment, we, we would see God's glory and, and like Isaiah, be lost in our sins saying, woe am I, I I've got nothing that, that in myself that I could stand before a holy God. I'm done for. And then you see his grace as Isaiah experiences the grace of God and he says what? Here am I, send me. I've experienced your glory, the image of God that I've been created in and now I want to reflect that image. Relationship restored. Mission and purpose restored. It's how you become a Christ follower. You come to that place. I've fallen short. I need Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, it's how you walk out this Christian life. It's how you thrive as a Christ follower, where you strip off your own glory. You you stop seeking it after the lesser things. You say, I'm reflecting the glory of God now. I'm not going to spend my time in the court of people's opinion any longer. I want to stand in the court of God's grace, created for his glory loved and accepted, redeemed and changed. And when this grabs our full attention, listen, when we see this amazing news, when we begin to seek after that and rest in that, we find a new joy and we're transformed by it. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And God, as hard as it is to to hear that we fall short of your glory, God, I'm so thankful for the truth of of what you say because we feel it, we know it. We try to hide from that, but then we come face to face with it in your word that on our own, because of sin, we fall so short of your glory. Fractured, broken. But Lord God, that as we find ourselves on our knees before you, recognizing where we've gone after other lesser glories, recognizing where we've stolen the glory for ourselves, seeing where we fall short of your glory, God, we also then look to the cross. God, keep our eyes on you. Keep our eyes focused on the cross, the glory of the cross that would say that you've been forgiven of of your sin, completely forgiven of all your sin. No more needing to strive to try to make yourself more lovable by God, but completely loved in this moment. Not just forgiven, but transformed. Given the righteousness of Christ. Father, I pray that that would be the glory that sets us out of here, that we walk in the glory of that grace, that we reflect now that glory to others, not our own glory, but your glory, that we would continue to be changed and others changed by your grace as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. There's a lot of things that have happened during this season of uh, COVID-19. And um, here's one thing I've noticed, though. I've noticed the grace of God in it, in this sense. For me personally, it's like God has pulled away a lot of things that I thought brought me hope. For me to start to go, where, where is my hope? And to, and to find this new joy, this, this new excitement of saying, God, you want my joy more than anything else. I'm going after it with you now. None of this other things. Here's the other cool grace of God in this. Not just for you personally to experience that, 
But over the last few weeks, as I've having coffee with so many people, or calling so many people, this opportunity of being able to bring that joy into this situation. Our world right now is not full of joy. Spend 10 minutes on Twitter, you'll find that, all right? May we be a different voice in this season. Not a voice complaining, not a voice putting our hope in something so, so, so fleeting. Not, not our voice bringing more argument and fight, but our voice bringing joy. Saying, I've found something greater than all of this. My hope isn't in uh, an election. My hope isn't in my government. My hope isn't in a mask or no mask. My hope's in Jesus, and there's a joy in that. May we reflect that image to our watching world. Amen? So let me encourage you, go after people. Go after people you know. Yeah, we don't have small groups really running right now. It's too hard to try to figure this thing out, but it doesn't stop us from reaching out. If there's someone you know who needs joy, begin to bring joy. People in our world begin to bring joy. May our social media not be filled with our glory, not, not, not be pointing people to seeking glory anywhere else, but it would be filled with the joy of the glory of God that people say, I want what you have. You're so different. You're saying, I'm not. I'm just reflecting the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, amen. Lord God, thank you so much for the hope we have in you, for the joy we can have in you. And God, I pray even right now, Lord, as I say that, I realize there'll be people here this morning who say, I'm not experiencing that right now. My heart is heavy. Father, I pray that we could, as, as your body of Christ, come alongside, begin to love and care, begin to weep with those who weep as we graciously point them to your glory. As we experience the joy of that together, that even sorrowful, always rejoicing. God, may this be a safe place. May this be a place where the broken can come, where those who, 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 who come in sin can hear, yeah, you are messed up, but God's grace is greater. God, may this be a place where there's hope. God, may you send us out of here like you created us to be, reflecting your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.